I hope you uh, have a lot of time this morning because I've got so much to share. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking of the various things that we were involved with. We had a staff meeting, staff, well, it wasn't a meeting, staff, deacons, elders, uh, dinner together. Uh, it was rigged because I had by far the best sweater and I didn't win. I even voted for myself twice, and I still didn't win. So, uh, but we had a great time together. I, I love the people that our Lord has placed in uh, positions of, of servanthood here at the church, and uh, it was really good to be with them for just sharing an evening of a lot of laughter and uh, a lot of uh, enjoyable fellowship. Uh, the women's, uh, uh, my wife came to the women's uh, gathering yesterday, their Christmas gathering, and she said that was so good. and. Uh, it was really enjoyable to uh, hear about just all the things that the Lord is doing with the women's uh, meetings and throughout this year. So I, I know that Tammy, if you see her pray, or well, if you don't see her, pray for her. She is uh, pretty tired and she's going to be taking a week off, so don't call her this week. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, so she's just going to be with family and, and that'll be a lot of fun for her. But uh, thank you for going to that and, and making that a real success. We, uh, a week ago Saturday night, a week ago last night, we had the, uh, our, our praise night together, and I, I love that. Uh, we're going to make that an annual affair uh, for the church. And uh, then last night, we had the Voices of the Sierra here. We had, I think, a third of the people were from our church that were in that, and that was very enjoyable also. And so there's just a lot of really good things going on right now. Um, and uh, opportunities to share our Lord Jesus with, with many people. I hope that you will invite your friends. If your friends don't go to church, say, hey, uh, you know, we're, we're doing some Christmas stuff at the church on, on, on next Sunday morning, and we're doing something on Christmas Eve at, at either 4 o'clock or 5.30. We want you to come to one of those. But, but bring a friend along with you. Bring family with you if they're here. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy uh, the music and just the uh, celebration that we have of our of celebrating the fact that our Lord Jesus came to this earth for a while. So uh, take take advantage of, of really the season that we're in to invite somebody to come along with you um, and and share the the blessing of being together with with these individuals. This morning we are going to be looking at Romans and then we'll be taking a couple of weeks off for our Christmas. Uh, in terms of our Christmas, we're going to next Sunday morning, we're going to look at the pre-incarnation of Jesus. That means who was Jesus before he became a, a, a baby, before he was born a baby? Because Jesus has always existed. And we're going to look at a couple of spots in the Old Testament where we see him. We're going to see some evidence from the New Testament that he's always been here. Remember the statement that he makes uh, uh, to Abraham, you know, when he's talking about Abraham. He, he says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus has always been there. And so we're going to be looking at the pre-incarnation. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at the incarnation. Uh, of Jesus when he did when when he did become flesh and dwelt among us for a while and then the week after that so two weeks from today we're going to be looking at the post incarnate Christ and how he's described you know in Revelation chapter 1 and in Hebrews chapter 1 and so it's going to be a, a really good series a three three time series uh, of presenting the 
pre-incarnation, the incarnation, and the post-incarnation of this Jesus that we love and serve. And so, again, bring some friends along with you and let them share the joy of celebrating our Lord's birth. Um, Then we'll get back to Romans, and uh, it's all good. So uh, that's where we are this morning is Romans chapter 4, if you'd turn there with me in your Bibles. Our Father, we thank you this morning for uh, your, your word, how, how wonderful it is, how strong it is, um, how, how impactful it is when we realize that it, uh, it reveals areas of our lives, whether it's motives or thinking or actions or words or choices, your word reveals when we're walking in line with your word by the power of your spirit for the purpose of your glory and when we aren't. And we thank you for being that kind of a God that you'd care enough about us to show us what, uh, you know, what, what Christianity is about and, and what it's not about. And so we thank you for using your word in our lives. And as we look at this, the latter part of, of Romans chapter 4, we pray that it would continue to have this impact on our lives that it's already been having. Uh, what, what a great description of you. I think one of the very best descriptions of you in all the Bible. And so uh, may, we, uh, may we enjoy and understand who you are, who we get to have the privilege of serving and, and experiencing your love. So thanks for our time in your word this morning, and uh, may you use it greatly to impact our lives. We pray these things in our Lord Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Um, there are, uh, I, when, I, when I teach the, uh, uh, what, what does the Bible teach about God, the first passage that I go to is one that you are familiar with that I've shared many times, and that is the Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, where God describes himself. Because Moses wants to see God's glory. And he says, you know, you can't see. If you, if you saw it full blown, you wouldn't be around any longer. You'd be present with him in heaven. Uh, so he, he, he was able to see a glimpse of God's glory. But then God describes himself. And he begins by saying, Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh is God's Old Testament name, which means I am I am, I always have been, I always will be, I am. That's what his name in the Old Testament, Yahweh, means, I am. And he begins by saying, Yahweh, Yahweh, God. And then he describes himself and says, I am compassionate and I am gracious and I'm slow to anger. I'm abundant in loving kindness and I'm abundant in truth. I'm a forgiving God and I'm a just God. And so what we've been looking at during the past uh, several months, actually, um, we've been looking at God's justice. We focused in on God's justice as described in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20. And so I I, I love that. Uh, That'd probably be my favorite description of God. But today, here in this passage, this probably comes in as my second best. Because Abraham, the God that Abraham believed in and trusted and, 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 and gave his life to, the, 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 the God that, that uh, he placed his faith in was the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. I love that description. He's the God who gives 
life to the dead. We can't do that. And he calls into being that which doesn't, doesn't exist. We can take things that already exist and kind of create new things out of them, but they're from pre-existing materials. God creates something out of nothing. That's the kind of God we serve. And I pray we go away with this, with Abraham's God today, because we have the same God at this, at this time. As we look at Abraham's life and the God he trusted, it's the same God that exists today that we too can give our lives to. This is the reason Abraham had trusted God, because he gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. An amazing, amazing God. Now what we've been looking at in chapter 4, because in chapter 3, verse 21, through the end of the chapter, you had God's description of who a true Christian is. It's somebody who knows Jesus personally. It's somebody who has placed their faith in the one who satisfied the Father's justice. Jesus, by his death on the cross, and because of who he was, satisfied the Father's justice. And so justice has been rendered. It's been completed. It's a finished work. Jesus satisfied that. And so the question for us becomes, will I trust Will I place my faith in this Jesus who satisfied the Father's justice? That's the question for every individual. Will I trust him? And then we have an example of that, that, that faith is always God's way. Because he, he gives the example of Abraham, and, and you know, really the question there is, well, what about those people who lived before Jesus? You know, okay, I'm supposed to, uh, we are after the cross are supposed to express our, our faith in, in this one who satisfied God's justice, but, but what about those people who lived before Jesus died on the cross? How were they made right or just with God? Surely it took works or it took religious practices, or it took, took obedience to the law, and Paul says, no. Those things have never been God's way to get right or just with him. Justification has always been by faith. Faith is confidence. It's entrusting yourself to this Father. Uh, it, it's entrusting yourself to Jesus. And, and so faith is confidence in the biblical God. And what he's shared in his word. It's trusting him in everything. And Abraham, who was the first Jew, is his prime example. He says, look at Abraham. That God's justice is satisfied by faith in God alone. Abraham is the supreme example of that. And biblical faith, and this is really important. I, I, I saw a little statement made by somebody just this week, and it was something to the effect that, uh, you know, faith in whether it's, whether it's God or Allah or, you know, this or that or whatever, that's all that counts. It's just faith in whoever you want to have faith in. No, biblical faith is faith in the, you know, it, it depends upon the object of our faith. Saving faith is something that takes place only when we place our faith in the biblical Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. And, and so we, we really need to understand that, that biblical faith depends on the object of our faith. And so who is this God our faith is in? And that's what you have in these verses in chapter 4. And we saw last week that 
Justification, which simply means to be just or right with God. Uh, Justification is by faith. It's not by religious practices. And for the Jews, they thought their circumcision saved them. For the Jewish males, this is what saves them if you're circumcised on the eighth day. And the writer Paul says, no, it's always been by faith. It's not by religious practices. And now look at verse 13 with me in Romans chapter 4. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of, or justice of faith. For if, those who, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. This promise that God made to Abraham. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there's also no violation. And so what he's saying here is, once again, justification is by faith. It's not by the law. And he uses Abraham. Who proves this statement? Well, the the same as in verses 1 through 12. Abraham, it wasn't through the law that Abraham and his offspring received God's promises that he would be heir of the world. Abraham was made right or just with God long before the written law was even given. In fact, it tells us in the, you know, in, the, in the scriptures that it was 430 years before the written law was given. What God did is he promised land and descendants or seed and blessing to Abraham and his offspring. And you realize the land, really, Abraham really never hardly possessed any part of it. But he still believed God's promise that Abraham and his descendants would receive it. And descendants, you see just a few. You know, you see Isaac being born. Um, (laughs) But he didn't see descendants as the stars of the heavens. He didn't. Yet God promised it to to him, and Abraham believed him. He trusted him. that That would come true. And you look at the blessing, really the blessing is described in Galatians as being Christ, Jesus. Obviously, Abraham never saw Jesus while he was here on this earth. And so we realize that God promised these things, and Abraham believed God. 430 years before the law was even given. As he says in verses 14 and 15, if those who are trying to live by a law are the heirs of Abraham, then faith in God is meaningless and God's promise has been done away with. In fact, the law doesn't bring about salvation, it brings about wrath. When people deliberately suppress God's truth, because all have some truth from God, they encounter not God's salvation, they encounter God's wrath, His anger against sin. Verse 16, for this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you 
in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. For in hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform." Therefore, it was also credited to him as justice or righteousness. And so we get God's answer here. How it's always been. That it's by faith in the biblical God and his truth. And he says, therefore, righteousness or justice comes by faith on man's part and grace on God's. God's promise makes it certain or guaranteed to any person who's of the faith of Abraham. Again, understand this. If salvation is given on the basis of the written law, then only the Jews from Moses on could be saved. But Paul makes it really clear. It's of faith that God's salvation is available for anybody at any time, by faith in God. That's always been God's way. And any person who has faith in the biblical God is part of Abraham's family. And he's the father of all who have faith in God. And then we, say in, we see in whom Abraham's faith was in the last part of verse 17. I don't know if you underline your Bible, but if you do, that's, this is a great portion to underline. Verse 17, the last part, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. I put that on your handout so you'll take it home with you in every way. Not only will you take the Bible home with you, but I put on your handout, Abraham's God and our God is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. And please understand that the amount of faith that one exercises has nothing to do with, well, you have more faith than I've got. No, if you place your faith, no matter how small it is, in this, in the, this biblical God, then you too are made not only declared right with him, but you're made right with him. You become this new person. And so we should talk about the object of our faith, the God in whom our faith is fixed. And you look at the two things, you know, gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. You look at that and you realize that nothing baffles humans more than death and nothingness. We can't clear out a graveyard. We can't create a new sun. S-U-N. We can't do that. But the biblical God can. 
the biblical God to take seven days, and really it didn't even take him seven days. <laughs> he, did it, you know, he, he did it faster than that. But he can take in just a few days, a week or less, and he can create everything that we see around us. He can speak things into existence that didn't exist before. He can take something that is absolutely dead, no question about it, and give that individual life or that situation that you might consider or that marriage that you might consider dead. He can take that and give life to it. And this means that that any situation or person we face can be a time of new life. In terms of Abraham, when all hope as a human possibility failed, Abraham placed his hope in God. And we saw last week what his area was that he had trouble with. It was children. Of course, we all have trouble with children. So, that, But he didn't have any. That's the key here. <laughs> he didn't have any when God made his promise. His situation was beyond hope. And yet he rested in God. Because God had made a promise. According to God's promise of descendants, Abraham turned to God, believed his promise, and as a result became the father of all believers. In verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he faced the difficulty. His own body was about a hundred years old, as good as dead, had ceased to function. It, it, it's the way it's written there. It was a permanent condition. He couldn't produce children. And then he looked at his wife. She was barren. Her womb was dead. She was 90 years old and had never had a baby. So his body is dead. Her womb is dead. And yet, who's his God? It's the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. I pray you learn that definition. I pray you learn the Exodus 34, 6 and 7, and also this, this passage right here in terms of who's your God? Well, we can tell him. He's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abundant in truth and abundant in loving kindness, and he's a forgiving God, and he's a just God, and he's a God who can give life to the dead and call into being that which does not exist. That's my God. That's the biblical God. And I put on your handout, because of the one who gave it, Abraham put confidence in his promise. I really don't want to go on from here, because I like, I just, I, I, I can't, you know, it's hard to get over this God. I, I don't want to get over him. But again, he, he just gets bigger the more I get to know him. And I understand he's not getting bigger. I understand that I'm just growing in my understanding of who he is.
Verses 20 through 22, with regard to God's promise, he didn't waver through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully confident that God had power to do what he had promised. This was the faith which was credited to him as justice. He faced the facts. I, you know, my body can't produce children. You know, Sarah's body can't produce children. We are old. We, we, we just haven't been able to do this. But he faced the facts, remembering who God was. It, it brought to mind, I was thinking about this in the middle of the night last night, and I was thinking of the, the Second Corinthians passage where the Apostle Paul is describing how he was... Uh, how when he was in Asia, he faced, he faced the death sentence. There was no hope for him. That, that you know, let, just let me read it to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, verse 8. Let's see, 2 Corinthians is after 1 Corinthians. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. In verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 1, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians, that we don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction. That means that's the word pressure that he's been using throughout the chapter, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? He was done. There was no earthly hope for him. All that brought into the place of recognizing He had no place to turn. But the God who raises the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. The word waver there means to uh, distinguish or judge between two. It kind of has maybe the idea of hesitant or or, or doubt uh, that... Abraham wasn't divided in his mind by unbelief. In fact, it says he actually grew stronger in faith as time went by. Keep in mind, the first promise that God made of land, seed, and blessing was was in, in Genesis chapter 15, and he's probably around 75 years old at that time. And this promise was not fulfilled to he and Sarah until 25 years later. How long would you wait See, the way, to, the way to strengthen one's faith is to keep our eyes on the character and resources of God, not on the, the circumstances. And I put on your handout, he was fully persuaded that God's power would match his promise. And then God shows up again when, and when Abraham's 99 and Sarah's probably 89 and he talks to them again and promises them by a year from now you will have a child and you'll have a son. 
And so here we have this mental image of one who's nearing 100. He couldn't produce children. And another individual here nearing 90, and she is barren. And they're holding one, one another, and they're laughing together, and they're believing God's word that by this time next year they'd be parents. And they even named their son Isaac, which means laughter. Abraham believed God and it made the books balance. It was credited to him as justice. Now look at verse 23. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited. As those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. These words were not written for Abraham alone but also for us. This this acceptance by God of Abraham the father of all believers is recorded so that we too might believe. So that you might believe and I might believe. And claim the justice of God through Jesus. In fact, because of what Jesus has done, and it's so clear in the scripture, because of what Jesus has done, we're expected to believe also. Of course. Who wouldn't believe in this God? In this Jesus? Because of who he is and what he's done. And the last part of verse 24 and 25, if we believe in and trust the God who can raise the dead and call into existence that which doesn't exist, if we believe in this God who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, Jesus who was delivered to death for our sins and was raised from the dead for our justification, it'll be credited to us also. We are made, made not only declared right, but made right with God. Just. This same Jesus who died for our sins is the one who was raised to free us from the penalty of sin. We had deviated, we had sinned, we had deviated from the right path, we had turned aside from God's safe boundaries. Jesus had to die so that we could experience what we've been calling fiddles, F-H-I-D-L-S. He had to die so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have our hearts made new and and have this intimate relationship with God and this direct access to God and the law written on our hearts and on our minds and and the, the Holy Spirit coming to live within us. Jesus had to die. The person of Jesus had to die in our place and for our sins so that we could experience this new life. And in January, when we get to Romans chapter 5, we're going to see that, that those things that I'm talking about, that the forgiveness of sins and the hearts made new and all, all these other things, the six things of fiddles, we're going to see that's just the beginning of we, what we experience once we have been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus had to die, but he also was raised to prove that God's just demands were fully satisfied. So once again, will we place our faith in Jesus 
the living Jesus. And so God brought Abraham to the place where he had no resources and was left only with God, just God. <laughs> the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's, he's our God. And I'm convinced that God will take every believer through that same process. I know he's done that with me. He's done it with Mary Lee. Uh, we've seen it in so many people's lives that he, he, he shows us. He brings us to the place and whatever it takes, he will use and show us that without him we are empty. There is no life. And if we went around this morning and I asked you, how has God been, you know, been testing and stretching and emptying you so that you will fix your eyes on him alone? We would have a lot of different ways. But they're all to bring us to the same point. Trust in this God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. I put it on your handout that this God makes life an adventure because we never know when he'll bring life to something that's dead. It might be a marriage. It might be an unbeliever. You may have been praying for somebody for years and you finally say, I, it's no hope. But God, as, just as he gave life to us, he can give life to an unbeliever when they come to the point of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He can bring life to something that's dead like circumstances or even your job. All these people or things may be touched by the grace of God and brought to life. He wants to produce things in our lives which don't exist. Maybe satisfaction or meaning or purpose. Maybe it's love that seems to be absent. Abundant living, lives lived to the full. It all begins with and continues by trusting God Asking Jesus to take over your life once for all and daily. Jesus, thanks for another night. <laughs> Waking up this morning. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you've dealt with all my sins and me as a sinner. And you've made me a new person in Christ. And you've given your Holy Spirit to live on my body. And you live within my, my human spirit. Yes, I believe you. I trust you. And I'll act on your word just as Abraham did. You see, are, are these words that you find yourself continually, continually saying, yes, I believe you, I trust you, and I will act on your word just as Abraham did. Do you see yourself with hopeless circumstances yet staggering possibilities? You do, if you understand the biblical God. I pray we all do. What a God. Our Father, we uh, thank you that we can look at this passage on faith. It makes so much sense during this time of the year when we are looking at why Jesus came. He came to be our, the Savior and to save people from their sins. And we see in Jesus one that we can trust with our lives, with our families, with our circumstances, with our jobs, with everything about us. We can absolutely trust you with our money and with our future.
and with our past. We thank you for the forgiveness that is ours through Jesus Christ. We thank you for making us, for giving us new hearts. We thank you that when we place faith in you, that you, uh, you, we have this intimate relationship with you, not as God the judge, but as God our Father. And we are your children. We thank you that we have this intimate uh, 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 relationship with you and, and direct access to you all the time in any situation, even when we've royally messed up. We thank you for writing your law in our hearts and on our minds so that we want to obey. We don't have to obey. We want to obey as your children, as part of your family. And we thank you for placing your spirit within these bodies of ours, our physical bodies, so that when we walk by the spirit, we walk in your kind of victory. We actually walk in victory over the temptations and the flesh and the world and the devil. Your plan is so Wonderful. It is beyond our thinking. And yet the more we study your word, the more we recognize how, how awesome you are. You're the only one to whom, the, to, to whom the, the term awesome really belongs. You are awesome, God. May we never try and bring anything else into, into your realm. You stand alone. And so may we by faith come to know you and may we share this message of Jesus and what he's done for us and who he is and and that he wants to come into each person's life so that we can experience justice and satisfaction and, 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 and salvation in you. But also we can have so much more as described in Romans chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. So thank you for this time of year. May we share not only... Not only do we make assure ourselves that we've made this decision, but I, I pray that we would also share this wonderful message with others. May we, may we even, maybe if we don't know how to share, maybe we can just invite them to come to church. Maybe then invite them to come to a Christmas Eve service or next Sunday morning when we talk about the, the pre-incarnate Jesus. Um, it should be really fun to get together as a body during these days. So thanks for our time together this morning. May you continue to cement your your truths into our lives. May we uh, experience the richness, the fullness of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.